for you, but I hope you're having a good day. So, today is chapter 3 of the, To Kill a Mockingbird, and I will record an episode of Trevor Noah's book. Alright, this is chapter 3 of To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Catching Walter Cunningham in the schoolyard gave me pleasure, but when I was rubbing his nose in the dirt, Jem came by and told me to stop. You're bigger than he is, he said. He's as old as you nearly, I said. He made me start off the wrong foot. Let him go, Scout. Why? He didn't have any lunch, I said, and explained my involvement in Walter's dietary affairs. Walter picked himself up and was standing quietly listening to Jem and me. And me. His fists were half-cocked as if expecting an onslaught from both of us. I stomped at him once to chase him away. But Jem put his hand and stopped me. He examined Walter with an air of speculation. Your daddy, Mr. Walter Cunningham, from Old Sarum, he asked. And Walter nodded. Walter looked as if he had been raised on fish food. His eyes as blue as Dill Harris's were rimmed with rimmed and watery. There was no colour in his face except at the tip of his nose, which was moistly pink. He fingered the straps of his overalls, nearly picking at the metal hooks. Jem suddenly grinned at him. Come on home to dinner with us. Water, he said. We'd be glad to have you. Walter's face brightened and then darkened. Jim said, our daddy is a friend of your daddy's scout here. She's crazy. She won't fight you anymore. I wouldn't be too certain of that, I said. Jim, free dispension of my pledge irked me. But precious noontime minutes were ticking away. Yeah, Walter, I won't jump on you again. Don't you like butter beans? Our cow's a real good cook. Walter stood where he was, biting his lip. Jem and I gave up. We were nearly there to the Radley's place when Walter called, Hey, I'm coming. When Walter caught up with us, Jem made pleasant conversation with him. Ah, uh, ain't living here. Ain't living here. He said coordinately, pointing to Radley's house. Ever hear about him, Walter? Reckon I have, said Walter. Almost died first year I come to school. And that's them pickings. Folks say he pissed them and put them on over on the school side fence. Yo, if you don't know what that means, he basically said that folks or people said that he pissed on them and threw them on the other side to poison the kids. Moving on with life now. Jem said to have a little fear of Boo Radley. Now that Walter and I walked beside him, indeed Jem grew boastful. I went all the way up to the house once, he said to Walter. Anybody who went up to the house wants Walter not to still run every time he passes it. I said to the clouds above, and who's running this Pris? You are, when ain't nobody with you. By the time we reached our front steps, Walter had forgotten he was a Cunningham. Jem ran to the kitchen and asked Oprina, I still hate that name, to set an extra plate. We had company. Atkins greeted Walter and began discussion about crops. Neither Jem nor I could follow. Reasons I can't pass the first grade, Mr. Finch. I've had to stay out ever 
spring and help Papa with the chopping. But there's another at the house now that's field size. Did you pay a bushel of potatoes for him? I asked, but Atticus shook his head at me. While Walter piled food on his plate, he and Atticus talked together like two men to wonderment of Jem and me. Atticus was expounding upon farm problems when Walter interrupted to ask if there was any molasses in the house. Atticus summoned Coprina, Copronia, still hating the name, who returned bearing the syrup pitcher. She stood waiting for Walter to help himself. Walter poured syrup on his vegetables and meat with a generous hand. He would probably have poured it into his milk glass had I not asked with the small Sam Hill he was doing. The silver saucer clattered when he replaced the pitcher, and he quickly put his hands in his lap, then ducked his head. Atkis shook his head at me, but he's gone and drowned his dinner in syrup, I protested. He poured it all over. It was then that Coprinia Risky requested my presence in the kitchen. She was furious, and when she was furious, Coprinia's grammar began, became erratic. When in tranquility, her grammar was good as anybody in Mako. Atkis said Coprinia had more education than most colored folks. When she squinted down at me with the tiny lines around her eyes deepened, there's some folks who don't eat like us, she whispered fiercely, but you ain't called on to contradict them at the table when they don't. That boy is your company, and if you, if he wants to eat up all the tablecloth, you let him be here. But why would someone want to do that? Like, honestly. He ain't company, cow. He just a Cunningham. Hush your mouth. Don't matter who they are. Anybody sets foot in this house, your company. And don't you let me catch you remarking on their ways like you were so high and mighty. Your folks might be better than the Cunninghams, but they don't count for nothing the way you're disgracing them. If you can't act fit to eat at the table, you can just sit here and eat in the kitchen. Coponia set me through the swing door in the dining room with a stinging smack. I retrieved my plate and I finished dinner in the kitchen. Thankfully though, I was spared the humiliation of facing them again. I told Coponia to just wait. I'd fix her one of these days when she wasn't looking. I'd go off and drown myself myself in Marcus, Eddie, and she'd be sorry. Besides, I added she'd already gotten me into, in trouble once a day. She, taught, she had taught me to write and I was all her fault. Hush your fussing, she said. German Walter returned to school ahead of me, staying behind to advise Atticus of Calcornia's inequities. Inequities? Was worth a solitary sprint past the Adley's place. She likes Jim better than she likes me anyway, I concluded and suggested that Atticus lose no time in packing her off. This girl. <laughs> Just to get rid of someone who's trying to take care of her. Like, leave a comment and tell me if you would do this. Have you ever considered you ever. Have you ever considered that Jem doesn't worry her half as much? Atticus's voice was flinty. I've no intention of getting rid of her, now or ever. We couldn't operate a single day without Cal. Have you ever thought of that? 
you think about how much Carl does for you and you mind her, you hear. I returned to school and hated California steadily until a sudden shriek shattered my resentment. I looked to see Miss Caroline standing in the middle of the room, sheer horror flooding her face. Apparently she she had revived enough to preserve in her profession. It's alive, she screams. Oh gosh, this woman is so dramatic. She sounds like she's like Dr. Frankenstein. The male population of the class rushed as one to her assistance. Oh, Shiver ain't dead yet. Lord, I I thought she'd scared um, Lord, I thought she's scared of a mouse. Little Chuck, little whose patience with all the living things was phenomenal said which way did he go Miss Caroline tell us where he went quick DC he turned to a boy behind him DC shut the door and would catch him quick ma'am where'd he go Miss Caroline pointed a shaky finger not at the floor nor at the desk but to a hulking individual unknown to me little Chuck's face contracted and he said gently you mean him ma'am yes um, he's alive did he scare you some way miss caroline said desperately i was just walking by when it crawled out of his hair just crawled out of his hair did you chuck grinned board broadly there ain't nothing there ain't no need to fear a cutie i think it means cutie but hey ma'am ain't you ever seen one now don't you be afraid you just go back to your desk and teach us some more did you chuck little was another member of the population who didn't know where his next meal was coming from but he was a born gentleman he put his hand under her elbow and led miss caroline to the front of the room now don't you fret ma'am he said there ain't no need to fear cutie i'll just fetch you some cool water the cutie's host showed not the faintest interest in the furrow he had wrought. He stretched his scalp above his forehead, located his guest, and pinched between his thumb and forefinger. Miss Caroline watched the process in horrid fascination. Little Chuck brought water in a paper cup and she drank it gratefully. Finally, she found her voice. What's your name, son? she asked softly. The boy blinked. Me? Miss Caroline nodded. Burris Hill. Mm, that's a great name. Miss Caroline inspected her role book. I have L here, but I don't have a first name. Would you spell your first name for it for me? Don't know how they call me Burris at home. Well, Burris, said Miss Caroline. I think we'd better excuse you for the rest of the afternoon. I want you to go home and wash your hair. From her desk, she produced a thick volume, leaf through its pages, and read for a moment. A good home remedy for birds. I want you to go home and wash your hair with Lysol. When you've done that, treat your scalp with kerosene. What's what for, Mrs. To get rid of, get rid of the cuties. You see, birds, the other children might catch them, and you wouldn't want that, would you? The boy stood up. He was the filthiest human I had ever seen. His neck was dark grey, the backs of his hands were rusty, and his fingernails were black deep into the quick 
okay yo i don't think this kid is black first of all so it just shows that this kid is dirty as hell to the point where his skin almost looks black it's like he's been this sunning in the sand sons of africa for the past 20 years there ain't no way a child can be this dirty like at least he must go for a swim into the river or something he peered at miss caroline for a fist-sized clean space on his face no one had noticed him probably because miss caroline and i had entertained the class most of the morning and burr said to miss caroline please bake yourself before you come back tomorrow the boy laughed rudely you ain't sending me home missus i was worn on the verge of leaving i done done my time for this year miss caroline looked puzzled what do you mean by that the boy did not answer he gave a short contemptuous snort one of the elderly members of the class answered her he's one of the elves ma'am and i wondered if this explanation would be as successful as my attempt as miss caroline seemed and seemed willing to listen all schools full of them they come first day every year and then leave the trunk ladies get them here cause she threatens them with the sheriff but she gives up trying to hold them she reckons she's carried out the law just getting the names on the roll and running them here the first day you're supposed to mark them absent the rest of the year but what about their parents asked Miss Caroline in genuine concern ain't got no mother with this was the answer and their Paul's right contentious Barry's L was flattered by the recital. Been coming to the first day of first grade for three years now. He said expansively, Reckon if I am smart this year, they'll promote me to the second. Miss Caroline said, Sit back down, please, Barry's. And the moment she said it, I knew she had made a serious mistake. The boy's condensation, condescension, flashed to anger. You try and make me, Mrs. Little Chuck Little got to his feet. Let him go, ma'am, he said. He's mean, a mean one, a hard-down mean one. He's liable to start something, and there's something little folks here. He was among the most diminutive of men. When Burris L turned towards him, Little Chuck's right hand went to his pocket. Watch your stuff, Burris, he said. I'd soon kill you as look at you. Now go home. seemed to be afraid of a child half his height and Miss Caroline took advantage of his indecision. Where's go home? If you don't, I'll call the principal, she said. I have to report this anyway. The boy snorted and slouched leisurely to the door, safely out of range. He turned and shouted, report and be damned to you. Real smooth, kid. Real smooth. Let you just send it to hell. Yeah. Ain't no snot no slut of a school teacher. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. This child knows some cuss words. What else do you, kid? Ain't no snot no slut of a teacher ever born can make me do nothing. You ain't make me go anywhere, missus. You just remember that. You ain't make me go anywhere. He waited until he was sure she was crying. Then he shuffled out the building. Soon we were clustered around the desk trying to get in. Of various ways to comfort her. He was a real mean one below the belt. He ain't called one to teach folks like that. 
them ain't make on ways. Miss Caroline, not really. Now, don't you fret, ma'am, Miss Caroline. Why don't you read us a story? That cat thing was real fine this morning. Miss Caroline smiled, blew her nose, said, Thank you, darlings. Dispersed us up, opened a book, and mystified the first grade with a long narrative about a toad frog that lived in a hole. When I passed the Radley place for the fourth time that day, twice at full gallop, my gloom had deepened to match the house. If the remainder of the school year were as fraught with drama as the first, perhaps it would be mildly entertaining. But the prospect of spending nine months refraining from reading and writing made me think of running away. By late afternoon, when most of my traveling plans were complete, when Jem and I raced each other up the sidewalk to meet Atkis coming home from work, I didn't give him much of a race. I was our, it was our habit to run and meet Atkis the moment we saw him round the post office corner in the distance. Atkis seemed to have forgotten my noontime fall from grace. He was full of questions about school. My replies were monosyllabic. My replies were monosyllabic, and he did not press me. Perhaps Copernia sensed that my day had been a grim one. She let me watch her fix supper. Shut your eyes and open your mouth, and I'll give you a surprise, she said. That rhymed, I think. Shut your eyes and open your mouth, and I'll give you a surprise. Yeah, I did, she said. It was not often that she made crackling bread. She said she never had time, but we both, but with both of us at school today, she had been an easy one for her. She knew I loved crackling bread. I missed you today, she said. The house got so lonesome. Long about two o'clock, I had to turn on the radio. Why, Jim and me ain't ever in the house unless it's raining. I know, she said, but one of you is always calling and calling distance. I wonder how much of the day I spent just calling out to you. Well, she said, getting up from the kitchen chair. It's enough time to make a pan of crackling bread, I reckon. I wonder what crackling bread is. You run along now and let me get supper on the table. Okay, let me just look it up for you. For those of you wondering what crackling bread is, it is basically just fancy cornbread. So basically, all they did is make cornbread, then add crackling things to it. You learn something new every day, I guess. Anyway, moving on with the story. Copernia bent down and kissed me. I ran along, wondering what had come over her. She had wanted to make up with me. That was it. She had always been too hard on me. This girl is so narcissistic. She had at least seen the error of her fractions, fractious ways. She was sorry and too stubborn to say so. I was worried from the day's crimes. After supper, Atka sat down with the paper and called Scout. Ready to read? The Lord sent me more than I could bear and I went to the front porch. Atkis followed me. Something wrong, Scout. I told Atkis I didn't feel very well and didn't think I'd go to school anymore. If it was alright with him. Atkis sat down in the swing and crossed his legs, his fingers wandering to his watch pocket. 
he said that it was the only way he could think. He waited in permeable silence and I sought to reinforce my position. You never went to school and you do alright, so I'll just stay home to you. You can teach me like Granddaddy taught you and Uncle Jack. No, I can't say that, guess. I have to make a living. Besides, they put me in jail if I kept you at home. Those of my need easier for me tonight and school tomorrow. Bro's basically a home doctor. And he's supposed to be a lawyer. I'm feeling alright, really. Those thought so. Now what's the matter? Bit by bit I told him the day's misfortunes and he said he told me all wrong. So he can't even ever read anymore. Ever. Please don't send me back, sir. Please, sir. Atkins stood up and walked to the end of the porch. When he completed his examinations of Mysteria Vine, he strolled back to me. First of all, he said, if you can learn a simple trick, Scout, you'll get along a lot better with all kinds of folks. You never really understand the person until you consider things from his point of view. Sir, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. Atkins said I had learned many things today, and Miss Caroline had learned several things herself. She had learned not to hand something to a cunning hand for one thing, but if water had died, put ourselves in her socks, we'd have seen it was an honest mistake on her part. We could not expect her to learn all of Nacom's ways in one day, and we could not hold her responsible when she knew no better. I'll be dogged, I said. What is that supposed to be? I'll be dogged. Oh, are you supposed to be damned? Oh, wow. Um, I said, I did know better than not to read to her. And she she held me responsible. Listen, Atkiss, why do you call your father Atkiss? I don't have to go to school. I was bursting with a sudden thought. Burst girls remember. He just goes to school the first day. The charmed lady reckons she'd carry... She's carried out the door when she gets his name on the roll. You can't do that, Scout, Atkiss said. Sometimes it's better to bend the law a little in special cases. In your case, the law remains rigid. So to school, you go. You must go. I don't see why I have to when he doesn't. Listen, Atkiss said. The ills had been the disgrace of Mako for three generations. None of them had done any honest days working in his recollection. He said some businesses when he was getting rid of the tree, he would make he would take me with him and show me where and how they lived. They were people but they lived like animals. They go to school anytime they want to when they show the faintest symptom of wanting an education. Said that guess there are ways to keep them in school by force, but it's sin to force people like the girls into agreeing If I didn't go to school tomorrow, you'd force me to. Let us leave it at this, said Atkins dryly. You, Miss Scout Finch, Miss Scout Finch, are the common folk. You must obey the law, he said, that the elves remember.
is only exclusive society made up of elves. In certain circumstances, the common folk judicially allowed them certain privileges by the simple method of becoming blind to some of the hills' activities. They didn't have to go to school for one thing. Another thing was the whole Boris's father was permitted to hunt and trap out of season. Atticus, that's bad, I said. In make the country, hunting out of season was a misdemeanor. Misdemeanor at law. A capital felony in the eyes of the police. When a man spends his relief checks on green whiskey, his children have a way of begrudging those children any games their father can eat. Mr. L shouldn't do that. Of course he shouldn't, but he'll never change his ways. Are you going to take you out your disapproval on his children? No, sir, I murmured and made a final stand. But if I keep on going to school, we can't ever read it. That's really bothering you, isn't it? Yes, sir. When Atkins looked down at me, I saw the expression on his face that always made me expect something. Do you know what a compromise is? He asked. Bending the law. Rosewood, that's the only thing that comes to our mind. Bending the law. No, an agreement reached by mutual concessions. It works this way, he said. If you concede the necessity of going to school, we'll go on reading every night, just as we always have. It's, is it a bargain? Yes, sir. We'll consider it sealed without the usual formality, Atkins said when he saw me preparing to split. Wow. As I opened the front screen door, Atkins said, By the way, Scout, you'd better not say anything at school about our agreement. Why not? I'm afraid our activities would be received with considerable disapprobation by the more learned authorities. Gemini, accustomed to her father's last will and testament diction, and we were at all times free to interrupt Atkins for a translation when it was beyond our understanding. Huh, sir? I never went to school, he said, but I have a feeling that if you tell Miss Caroline we read every night, she'll get after me, and I wouldn't want her after me. Atkins kept us in fits that evening, gravely reading columns of print about a man who sat on a flagpole. Okay, how? But it was for no, dis- no discernible reason, which was reason enough for Jem to spend the following Saturday aloft in the treehouse. Jem sat from after breakfast until sunset, and would have remained overnight had not Atkins served his supply lines. I spent most of the day climbing up and down, running errands for him, providing him with literature and nourishment and water was carrying him blankets for the night when Atkins said if I paid no attention to him, Jem would come down. Atkins was right. Alright guys, that's it for today's chapter, chapter 3 of To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper D. I'm really sorry I haven't posted it so long. School is busy and sometimes I get really busy. These episodes are hard to um, also edit at the same time all right so i hope you guys tune in for the next episode i'll see you on the flip side
Ciao.